Welcome to The Word from Bethlehem Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Abigail Zhang Hoffman. And I'm Pastor Amy Walter-Peterson. Thanks for dwelling in The Word with us today. Hello! We are delighted to welcome you to this episode of Living the Word. Today we are here with Ruth Sleeman, a member of the Bethlehem Lutheran Church Congregation. Um, Ruth, welcome! Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here today. Wonderful. We'd like to start with just having you tell us who you are. However you want to think about that question, um, tell us you know, who you are, who you live with, uh, what sorts of things occupy your days, however you want to take that question. So I, who I am has just so many different answers to it. <laughs> um, I am a stepmother, a mother, a grandmother, um, child four of five, um, the granddaughter of a very fierce independent woman, uh, a retired CPA, a child of God, um, a neighbor, an advocate, um, I think it might even change hourly. <laughs> so it's, identity is one of those things that I kind of slip in and out of depending on where I am and who I'm with. Sure. sure. That's a great oh, way I'm, to a, think. I'm a knitter, too. It's a great way to think about it. Yeah. I, I think you're also a spouse. Oh, I am a spouse. Sorry, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about him. <laughs> Well, we are glad to hear from you um, for a bit. How about telling us how you first connected to Bethlehem? Oh, okay. So that has to be about 23 years or so ago. Um, My sister-in-law happens to be a a Lutheran pastor. And um, when our son Andrew was born, he had some health issues, um, um, heart issues, um, and she, she she was very supportive of us. She she lived in Syracuse at the time, and uh, well, I've, I've known Don since I was about 10 years old, but she came over unexpectedly to our house the night before Andrew's surgery and actually baptized him in our mm. kitchen. Mm. Wow. Um, and she said uh, when her oldest son was born, he had health issues. And one of the things that always weighed on her mind is that he went through all of that before he was baptized. Mm. Um, but as part of doing that, she made us promise that we would join a church <laughs> and have his baptism affirmed with the congregation there. Mm-hmm. Ruth, I've never heard this story before. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I didn't quite understand all of that at the time, um, but, you know, I made a promise to Don, and you, <laughs> you don't go back on your promises to Don. So, when, when we got past our, our uh, health crisis there, uh, we started looking around for churches, and actually Don recommended uh, Bethlehem Lutheran Church, um, and she told us that she thought that we would really like the community um, here and so we started coming here and she was right it was really the community that drew us in um, and welcomed us and we became a part of and when was that approximately 
So that had to be about 23 years ago. Andrew was uh, three months old when he had his surgery, and he is now 26. Wow. So. Ah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I've never heard that story before. That's wonderful. You talked earlier about all the various roles that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering, um, we particularly are aware of your kind of your role as an advocate. Yep. And we're wondering if you could just share with us a little bit about what's the kind of advocacy you do and how did you get involved in that? Uh, well, so again, that, that role is one that's also changed over the years. So it started uh, probably when Andrew was about two years old. Andrew has um, Down syndrome or trisomy 21. Um, And uh, he became uh, enrolled in early intervention. And we had the support of a great group of therapists and coordinators. Um, And when he was two years old, our service coordinator asked us if we would be willing to meet with another group of families. Uh, Andrew was two, Kirsten was four, and she said this group of families wanted to meet another family who had um, a a child with Down syndrome um, because everybody in this group did not expect to have a child with Down syndrome. It was mm-hmm. a surprise to all of them. Uh. Alan and I had known ahead of time uh, that mm-hmm. that was going to be Andrew's um, diagnosis. So we agreed. Um, and it was just a really, it was an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted us to bring Kirsten because they wanted to see, you know, how the siblings. Um, sure work together Mm -hmm. and it just all the kinds of questions that we got that that day one one uh, parent asked me if Kirsten knew if Andrew had Down syndrome and I said well yeah Mm -hmm. I mean she does I said she doesn't know what that means she's four she's four (laughs) but she knows that and she'll she'll grow up with that sure Um, another family asked us how we got over our disappointment you know, because when you have a, a child with those kinds of needs, um, there can be a lot of grieving. Sure. Families have so many expectations they put on children before yeah. they arrive. So many. So many, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my response to that at the time was, I want Andrew to grow up to be more independent than my brother-in-law. <laughs> and this dad looked at me and said, oh, I have a brother-in-law like that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that was kind of step one of advocacy. Um, So that was when Andrew was quite young. Yes. So as I said, it changed over the years. When I was working, I um, was a a board member of an organization that helped uh, not-for-profits comply with reporting for, it was OMRDD at the time. Which stands for? Oh, it's Office of Mental Retardation and Developmental Disabilities. They have changed the name of the organization. Um, so from there, um, I supported um, organizations that would reach out to legislators, um, and I got to understand a lot about um, local politics and how it's structured. Um, 
and who my representatives were and how to contact them, mm. um, which can be a very frustrating process. Um, and you often wonder if anybody hears you, but I've come to adopt the philosophy of the only voice they don't hear is the one that's not used. Huh. Um, so uh, I did a lot of that, and I still do. I, I know who my representatives are, and I'm on their mailing lists, and I don't really care whether they're Republican or Democrat. All I care is that they listen to our concerns. Mm -hmm. um, but I spend more time now since uh, Alan and I have helped Andrew set up his home using uh, something called self-direction, mm -hmm. talking to families who also want to do that or are trying to navigate the world of uh, having an adult child or a loved one, in some cases it's a nephew or a grandson or a granddaughter, um, become uh, more independent and moving out of the, of the family home. So mm -hmm. I've spent most of my time now doing that with other families. I mean, it strikes me that we kind of asked you about your advocacy work, but what you've described is really uh, work of accompaniment. I mean, it's yes. about sharing your story and seeing who you can walk with who might share parts of the same story um, so you can walk together on that path for a bit. Yeah, I, th I think that that's right. I mean, even uh, from a legislative perspective, it was always about telling uh the stories because yeah. our loved ones can't usually do that for themselves. Yeah. There are some individuals out there who are high functioning and are self advocates and can do that. But for a lot of the the people I've helped, they don't have their own voice. Yeah. And they need somebody to help them do that. And to your point, the only voice the legislators don't hear are the ones that aren't being used. That's right. And for those who don't have a voice uh, we need to step in yeah. and help to amplify their experience. Yeah. So that's kind of been my um, passion, is for people who can't speak for themselves. Um, I even remember when Andrew was born and he was in the NICU. Alan and I saw some families there who were, you know, had premature babies, but they were young. They had no family members around them. Yeah. They were intimidated by the, the medical doctors yeah. <laughs> and the process. And we would, again, reach out to them and say, what don't you understand? What can we help you with? Yeah. So for us, it's always been about finding those people who don't have the ability to do that for themselves and seeing what we can do to help. Yeah. You're, you've talked a lot about what you do. Can mm -hmm. you share a little bit about why you do it? Where does that motivation come from for you? Um, I, I'm a terrible advocate for myself. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm awful. Mm. Um, but I do, I, I, I do feel a lot of compassion and frustration for people who can't do that for themselves. Hmm. I know that I can advocate for myself, but I know how lucky I am to have the resources I have, the education, um, the financial resources, the support of family and friends 
that when I see individuals who don't have that, um, I just want to do something to help. Mm -hmm. um, it probably comes from <laughs> probably comes from my mother, um, who used to her, one of her favorite sayings was, "You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions." <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. <laughs> thanks, mom. Um, but. Uh, you know, there's there were five of us kids, and we, as you might imagine, five kids, 21 years between the oldest and youngest. There's not often a lot we agree on. Sure. Um, but we all could tell you the same story that my mother would tell us over and over and over again. Um, when she was, I'm going to cry, so just so you know, I can't tell the story crying without crying. Crying is welcome. I when, have tissues. <laughs> when she was 14 and her brother was 12, her... Um, brother passed away he died um which would not have happened today in the days of penicillin mm. um and she told she tells us this story she snuck into his room um as he was passing and asked if he was afraid to die mm. and he told her no because he knew that jesus would be there to take his hand oh wow wow so she has always taught us Either be the hand or look for the hand. Wow. I have Sorry. also not heard that story yeah. before. <laughs> that is really powerful. Yeah. So all of us kids, all five of us, grew up with that story and knowing that if we needed a hand, there would always be one there. Mm -hmm. And if somebody reached their hand out, we needed to be there to take it. Sorry. There is nothing no, to apologize <laughs> for. No. I mean, that is so beautiful. The depth of compassion. Um, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about Jesus' compassion. I mean, that characterized Jesus' ministry on earth is um, his compassion for those who were grieving, his compassion for those who were sick, his compassion for those who were um, outcast and not, not yeah. welcome. Um, and so I heard that woven in your story. But to hear it crystallized in this family story that makes it explicit. Be the hand of Jesus. Be ready to hold well, others' hands. When we uh, we planned her funeral, this is a very uplifting conversation, <laughs> I must say. It's we, real. <laughs> we actually chose the, um, and I'm I'm terrible at Bible verse numbers Sorry. and stuff like that. But the but the Bible verse about um, Peter stepping out of the boat. Mm. and then sinking until Jesus, Jesus held out his hand. Yeah. So we actually chose that for, for my mom's funeral. Yeah. What a perfect text. That's what we thought. Yeah, yeah. that's really beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. That was actually one of our questions, yeah. was whether there was a per particular prayer or hymn or scripture verse that sustains your work. But I, I think you might have already answered it. Well, it's certainly that one. But again, you know, I always, the the... Bible passages that resonate for me are always the ones about, again, people reaching out a hand or offering a hand or that. Yeah. Giving a voice. Too. Giving that's a voice. Yeah, that's exactly right. Today is how do we give a voice or how do we lend our voice to those whose, whose yes. voices may not be heard? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, that's really beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you for this conversation yeah. and sharing so much of your story um, and how your story is woven into God's story, or God's story is woven into yours. Kind of goes both ways. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is there anything else you'd want us to know about the work that you do, either with advocacy or any of your other roles that you um, that you carry? Well, I, I mean, what I what I do with families, there is a lot of joy there, and there is a lot a lot of frustration. Um, the frustration comes from you have to start in the same place every time, mm. <laughs> which is which is sounds strange. But what I mean by that is everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And for me, who is not a very patient person, sometimes I have difficulty sitting through the story because I want to get to work. Mm. I want to say, okay, great story. Here's what you got to do. Here's who you have to contact. So one of the things that this work tries to teach me, not always successfully, is patience. Because it is important for people to tell their stories. And um, my other parent, my dad, would have said, if you don't learn something new from everyone you you meet, then you're not really listening. Mm. So I try to have my dad on one side, my mom on the other, and I try to listen to the stories. And, and each story is different. So, um, f- for example, I had a, a call from a woman a little while ago who said... Um, she knows where Andrew's house is, and she wants her nephew to live in Andrew's house. And I said, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that. Why? And she said, well, because it's right in my neighborhood, and I walk my dog by the house all the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, but you don't know who lives there. You don't know anything about the roommates. You don't know anything about the staff. And she said, but but I know where the house is. Mm-hmm. So, again, what's frustrating for me is that people are so desperate to find a spot for their loved one that they don't really think about what that means and what, what they need. Mm. So... Um, Sounds like that tendency to fix it without listening to the stories first, which you just identified as something you wrestle with yourself. Uh, Maybe it's not so much a Ruth wrestling as a human nature wrestling. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a wonderful conversation. Uh, Ruth, I've known you for over five years, and I think I have heard several things that I have never heard before. (laughs) And so I just, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. This is really wonderful. And this is some of what we were hoping would happen in this podcast. And for those of you listening out there, um, we hope you've learned something new today and had something to reflect on in your own walk with Jesus. Um, Ruth, before we close our time today, we have the fun five Five questions that you are not allowed to think about. Um, just say the first thing that comes to your mind, and um, maybe we'll get to know a little bit more about you. Question one, coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> Black. Keep it coming. <laughs> With caffeine, I'm assuming. Yes. Yep. <laughs> All right, next one. Preferred ice cream flavor? Coffee. Coffee-flavored ice cream. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Yummy. That's know. among my favorites. All right. Other than worship, 
What is a surefire way for you to connect to God? Uh, outside, w- walking outside, hikes. Being outside. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is one resource you rely on that helps you stay grounded in your faith? Oh, just one, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, f- for me, I, I, this is going to sound strange, knitting. Um, it's not, it doesn't sound strange at all. It, it, it uh, is because I have a tough time sitting and just doing nothing. But when I knit, I can actually, uh, it's almost like meditation yeah. for me. And I can pray for people, and I can think about, um, uh, you know, think about how I can do better mm-hmm. <laughs> in my life and think about where God might be leading me. So knitting is a is probably a go-to for me. That makes a whole lot of sense. And for um, members of the Bethlehem community who might not know, you are one of the uh, minds behind our prayer square ministry. And so it makes sense that that you knit all of that into those prayer squares that we are able to share with others. I do. Yeah, that's yeah. great. All right, last question. Christmas or Easter? Um, Christmas. And mostly because it seems like people aren't around at Easter. Christmas is a surefire way of always uh, getting people together. Mm. Mm. So um, we have a tougher time doing that at Easter. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's because the weather is nicer and people like to, you know, be outside or go different places. But everybody, we have an annual Christmas party. It's a become a tradition. In fact, one year I traded with my sister-in-law and I thought my daughter was going to just kill me. <laughs> um, so Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Wonderful. I, throughout all your responses, I just hear connection, 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 yes. incarnation, <laughs> incarnation. So it's about the people. It, yeah. it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Ruth, yeah. thank you for being with us today. This has been a real gift. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for living the word with us today. Don't miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have someone you'd like us to interview, please be sure to email us at theword at blcfairport.org. If you'd like to support Bethlehem Lutheran Church and the ministry we share, including this podcast, please visit our website at www.blcfairport.org.